It's time. Living Paranormal. Real stories. Real investigators. No scripts. From legends to hauntings. Good evening, everybody. My name is Jason. And I'm George. Wow, and he's coming over pretty loud. I'm sorry about that, guys. That's my fault, but we'll get that just taken care of in a moment. And welcome to Living Paranormal. Guys, it is great to be back, as Rob would normally say. And if you can't tell, Rob is not here today. Well, he's here in spirit and in the chat room, but he's actually not manning the station, which um, he would say is the reason why we're starting late and there's so many technical issues. And let's just go ahead and let it stand that way, because, you know, we like Rob here. What are you going to say? No, no, just I like Rob too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll yeah. leave it at that. Oh, and uh, some of the ch- my brother in the chat room said, and I'm Eddie, so he's just jumping in on this right now, right away. But guys, it is so good to be back, as I was saying earlier. And I've, I've, uh, George, how was your week, man? How was your week? My week was pretty good, actually. It, it, um, it just, uh, you know, kind of flowed, kind of cruised, and I got just. You. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just good to be on this side of the yeah. grass, as they say. Sure, so, sure, know, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? This is another day, another wonderful day in paradise. I uh, do like to point out to everybody, longtime listeners will remember, this is George Aguilar. George is a longtime guest, uh, special guest that's come on to, I think this will be like the ninth show. You're one of our longest running guests. So. Right, and and I did take the short bus to get here, just to <laughs> let you know. <laughs> yeah, he's guest. Uh, we nine out of 119 episodes, I think it is, you've been on nine of them so that's wow. a pretty good run uh but uh guys am, am i the reason for your uh, your numbers dropping there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's totally gonna be your fault we'll blame yeah, you it's on okay you if that happens no but uh if you are listening to us live you are listening to us at www.livingparanormal.com slash live uh, where you can find a lot of information about living paranormal including our past shows if you'd like to click on the past show archive you want to find a show with your favorite guest all you have to do is type in the search bar, and it will bring up all the relevant information about the guests that we have, including links to their books that they've written and mentioned during the show, and every episode they've come out in, if we have more than one uh, appearance for them. Like, say, Bill Bean's come on twice. Uh, we've had the Reverend Robin Marie, of course, the wonderful... Reverend Robin Marie has been on the show quite a few times. Love we her. love having her on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. She's of course the third member of the official hosts that we have here. And I, I should have I should have called her. No, I'm just kidding, George. You're gonna do great. It's, it's but, okay. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm nervous. No, it's okay. it's okay. <laughs> it's all right, man. Don't worry about it. Uh, but if you want to hear some archive copies of the show, you can definitely find them over at livingparanormal.com. Uh, in addition to that, in your favorite podcast aggregator, just type in Living Paranormal. We'll come right up. Uh, in addition to that, our Facebook page you can reach us over at facebook.com slash living paranormal show don't forget to add the word show at the end of that or as rob is fond of saying you'll take you to the land of flying toasters and rainbow kittens and i think i even messed that up but it's okay it's just it's just a weird saying anyway so it's a fly by night kind of night yeah (laughs) absolutely that's just the manner in which we're gonna roll tonight but uh 
you know, George, I was about to call you Rob. You know what, George? We actually <laughs> we actually have a really great guest tonight. I am so excited uh, that we have this guest on because it's going to be about a topic that not a lot of people know about. It's something that I'm kind of familiar with. I, I, I We'll go into that a little bit deeper, but I'd like to take a moment right now to welcome to the air uh, Reverend Vincent Russo. Thank you so much. Uh, Vincent, is it okay if I call you Vincent? Uh, yeah, Vinny is fine. Vinny, thank you so much for coming on the air, Vinny. Thank you very much. We appreciate you having you here, and welcome to Living Paranormal. It's welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, now, we had a small discussion before the show started, and no, guys, that's not why we're on a little bit late, but I think one of the, the interesting things about, uh, one of the many interesting things, I'm sure, about you is, is that you are... Uh, I don't want to say Wiccan because I was corrected, Kirkman properly corrected, <laughs> properly corrected. I do have to say, uh, but you are a Strega or an uh, Hamagi. Or Hamagi is that correct? That's correct. In um, in the U.S., uh, we pretty much use the term Strega for any practitioner, male or female. But with a lot of Romance languages, Italian and Sicilian, they use the vowels at the end to denote the difference. So over in Italy, uh, mainland Italy, um, instead of being a strega, I would be a stragone. And in Sicily, it would be a mago or magi as plural. So, uh, yeah, just for ease of use, strega is fine. And uh, like you, we talked earlier about Wicca, mm -hmm. uh, the, the practice that stregas have and the practice Wiccans have there are some things that are in common, but there are some things that are also incredibly different. Really? Um, so they're both systems of um, cultural and folk magic practices. Mm -hmm. uh, they both involve what um, people might term spirits and gods and the otherworldly, but their approach is very different. Okay. And I say that as someone who is also a member of a Wiccan tradition as well. Oh, okay. Now, I was a practicing uh, Wiccan for mm, about 12 years, so a solitary Wiccan in, in practice. And so I'm, I'm familiar, very familiar with, with Wiccanism, traditional Wiccanism. Uh, it was actually Gardnerian-based. Uh, oh, okay. That I was that I'm familiar with, but of course we have many listeners. Uh, a lot of our listeners happen to be, of course, within the industry. We have a lot of uh, paranormal investigators that listen to the show, and some, a lot of our past guests as well. Uh, but for those that are the, let's say, the uninitiated, let's say, uh, <laughs> would you be able to explain, give us like a a, a basic foundation of of uh, of commonalities that you share with Wiccanism? If we could start off, sure. With that. Um, so, for instance, um, a few things that we have in common is uh, what I like to term a magical worldview. Okay. And it starts with learning how to suspend your disbelief. So you always acknowledge what's right there, what's the material, what's the mundane. But you also have to allow yourself to suspend the disbelief that we often instill in ourselves as a modern society and be able to see beyond the obvious what's right in front of you, to, to be able to look beyond the veil. Um, we have tools that we use, just like Wiccans do. We have seasonal ceremonies. Uh, not the same ones Wiccans have, but they're still seasonal ceremonies, so they're based around 
what's going on in the agricultural cycle around us, what's growing or what's not growing. Um, there's a, a worldview or a belief in magic and in the, the unseen, the other world. Um, a big difference is with strega practices, um, it's very rooted around the home and the ancestors and your family and community first. That's really the, the kernel of it is um, dealing with the, the personal, the ancestors, your local land, your local spirits. And then from there, it branches out. So it's, it's first practice-based, and then it branches out to spirituality-based and then religious-based eventually. I see. So, and, and what's interesting to me, I think fascinating, is that the Stoica tradition essentially, uh, what I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, which happens quite a bit, as Rob would point out if you were here. <laughs> Jason, you're wrong. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, George, for keeping that quote <laughs> out there. Uh, but if, if you're playing the drinking game, feel free to take a shot now. But if you, uh, the the, the tradition sounds like it comes from the a region more central, more central Europe, more Mediterranean in the sense of Italy. Definitely more Mediterranean. Okay. Um, and when I talk about the Strega tradition, there there are as many traditions of Strega practices as there are types of Wicca and modern paganism. Um, and that's because the folk magic traditions, the witchcraft traditions in Italy and Sicily, they were all very, very regionally based. So it's very Mediterranean. Um, and remember, it, it's only been a, a number of decades that Italy became Italy. Before that, they were all independent city-states. So there really was no culture that was universal through all of Italy and Sicily. So of course there wasn't any one-size-fits-all magical system. Uh, but it's very much more Mediterranean-based than it is Northern European-based, like you might get with Wicca. Right. So when we're speaking of in Wiccanism, say just the Lord and Lady representing the male and feminine aspects of nature yeah. and things of that nature, uh, how how would you what would you refer to in Strega in the Strega tradition? Is it still Lord uh, and Lady, or is it that, that's that really an excellent question? Because a lot of people, when doing things publicly, they'll actually say Lord and Lady. They might say Earth Mother and Sky Father. Um, a lot of times you'll hear Great Mother and All Father. Okay. The actual names that they use, in Wicca you'll get a variety of names. You'll right. get um, Aradia for the goddess, you'll get Diana for the goddess, you'll get um, oh, or just all sorts of names. Caridwin. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. And it, it's sort of like that in Italy too. Um, for mainland Italy, you'll primarily hear the goddess being referred to as Diana. Or Aradia. And it, this is not Diana that is a popular myth. This is the old Diana. She's, you know, the Diana beyond the moon. So she's Diana the Huntress, but she's also um, the Diana whose darts are the shafts of moonlight that bring both illumination and madness. Um, wow. she, she was not a chaste little virgin like Artemis. She, she was the witch goddess, the mother of all fairies. Uh, however, in Sicily, it's very different. Sicily, at least where my family came from, which is the southeastern portion mm -hmm. by uh, Catania, by Syracusa, 
um, a little bit off to the east of Mount Etna, they were very heavily influenced by the Greeks. Okay. So the system I was trained in is actually more Greco-Sicilian than Italian or Roman. So our family tradition, um, the, the family that I learned from, they were really more focused along the native Sicilian divinities. Um, and they don't use the, the words. They only use the, the names of the Sicilian divinities when they're in ceremony. They don't use them outside of ceremony. Um, but you might be familiar with Demeter and Persephone and that right. the whole mythos, Demeter, Persephone, Hades, uh, that's what they were really focused on because Sicily was considered Demeter's domain. I see. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, if we could for a moment, because I know we're, we kind of jumped midway in and, and uh, it's, if, forgive me because my, my, tempo is a bit thrown off because it's just, you know you do something with someone for so long as soon as it's changed no no offense george but <laughs> oh it's, it's it's okay none taken none taken uh, you know but you do something with someone for so long you start getting into a groove and usually that's where i'll go but uh, let's talk for a moment about the main character tonight let's talk about yourself and i say character because you know we all have a lot of character uh how did you get involved tell us a little about yourself how did you get involved in this you, you mentioned that you were trained in it was this a family tradition or so, well, I grew up in a little town in Portland, Connecticut. My mother's side of the family was from northern Italy, way north, Piemontese, the, the Piedmont region. My father's family was from Sicily. And there's always been a rivalry between the north and the south. I was going to say, that's fascinating that they meet. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking way north and way south. So how they ever came together, we, we won't get, we don't have enough time to do that. Um, <laughs> But so I was raised in, um, I like to say, a blended household, <laughs> northern and southern. Right. Um, and of course, just like in Ireland, mm -hmm. Sicily, and by extension, the immigrants who came over, my parents, my grandparents came over um, at the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, very, very, very Catholic. And in this case, Roman Catholic. But as I was going to say, like in Ireland, you scratch that gloss just a teeny tiny bit and you got witches underneath. You've got all that folk magic. They would never call themselves witches. But did they practice folk magic? Yes. Did they have herbal remedies? Yes. Did they pay more attention to the weather that was going on right outside in the turning of the sea? Yes, absolutely. So they wouldn't have considered themselves such and if you go to Sicily now, people I would call brother and sister witches mm -hmm. wouldn't use that term. And that's because of the Catholic Church over there. Oh, but nonetheless, they would have another term for someone who does the exact same thing, even to the point of, in private, worshiping the old gods. So I grew up in a nominally Roman Catholic household, but it was an old form of Roman Catholic. So, you know, I went to church. I thought I was going to go to the seminary. Um, I was, I, this is going to sound very naive, but I was in high school and I was doing tarot readings and psychometry readings right. for people in high school. You know, I had my little stones. I did, I didn't know it wasn't normal until I was talked to by the priest. And I said, well, you know, you know, I, I'm thinking of, of going to seminary. This is going to be a problem. And he's like, oh, oh, um, let's talk about seminary. Um, well, first of all, 
you can't join the seminary if you plan on having sex and you can't join the seminary if you're openly gay. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to the seminary then. <laughs> you know, I am sorry. You know, and you, you got magic. And, 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 and No, it's not for me. <laughs> too many rules. Right, Way right. too many rules. That's not, I'm not down yeah, Well, that. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I moved to Boston after graduating from high school. Mm -hmm. uh, I ran into some friends from my early high school days. And they had gotten involved with a group in the Boston area. Uh, a couple of them. One of the groups was called the Earth Spirit Community, mm -hmm. and another one was called the Weird Sisters. And they were people in Boston who, uh, for lack of a better, better term, were psychics and magical people. And they were not ashamed about it. They treated it like an everyday thing. If someone had a problem with it, they were perfectly happy to talk to them about it. And I thought, these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just went a little bit more. I, I met more people. Uh, eventually, I trained in a, a number of different magical traditions and uh, eventually bought Arsenic and Old Lace, uh, which was an, um, an occult store in Cambridge. I bought that in the 90s. I love the name, by the way. That's such a great well, name. Arsenic it was started Lace. by a wonderful woman named Sherry Gamble as um, a secondhand store. Oh, okay. and just about the time I was getting involved in magic, she was getting involved in magic. And it transitioned from a secondhand store to an occult store. And when she needed to move away, I bought the store and eventually transitioned it after a couple moves into being an online business entirely. Which, boy, does that save on rent. I can uh, imagine, yeah. Overhead, no overhead. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your website can be found at www.arsenic.com. Is that correct? Right, that's actually the main website. From there, there are other websites. So there's there's the big uh, website with the commercial products, like mm -hmm. the incenses, the oils, the books, the crystals. Then there's a smaller site, of the hand done things that I do. Cause I custom make candles and incense and oils. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, nice. Soaps, things like that. Um, and then I have a, a website for my tarot readings, but yeah, everything can be gotten to through arsenic.com. Wow. Cool. What were you going to say, George? I, I, I have a question for you for me. Um, Absolutely. I, I, uh, you said that you, you had, uh, originally brought, was brought, uh, in a Catholic upbringing. Oh, very Roman Catholic. Yeah. Do, do you ever see any resemblances between the two in some way, <laughs> shape, or form? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I kind of see it because what I've learned recently is that most religions borrow from every other religion in, in yes. some way, shape, or form. The big difference. Now, I actually lived in Sicily a couple years ago, and sort of as a, a personal pilgrimage, I wanted to know what the native magical practices over there were like. So I went over there um, on my own. Um, I lived with a family that was over there. I, I, re I met the people that wouldn't talk to like a reporter or something. <laughs> it was a total blast. Um, and they said something very interesting. They said that many of the people will not say it publicly for fear of public censure. And in some cases, legality. Right. But many of them are still right. Roman Catholic by community, but the old faith by practice. Right. So there are things you do in public and there are things you do in private. And 
um, I personally see like Roman Catholicism or Christianity in general to have some beautiful things from all over. The heart of the religion is beautiful. It's full of rich mystery. Right. The problem is, rather than focusing on that, the the greater Christian tradition tends to focus on belief. You must have right belief, and that right. leads to dogma. Right. With witchcraft, modern witchcraft, with Straker practices, there's no belief involved. It's all about practice. These are the things that bind us to our gods. These are the things that bind us to our ancestors. And these are the things that bind us to each other. So you can have two people in the same family doing the same practice, but they may approach it differently. One may pray to the saints and have seven-day novenas, and the other one may pray to the old gods and have seven-day novenas. <laughs> right. Wow. Go ahead, George. What do you I, say? All, I, all, I, all I want to say is, man, I want to hang with you in person. I know, right? We, we, need, to, we need to go have drinks or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Are you down in Texas, too? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's I'm actually in. Him out that way. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm actually sitting right next to this guy. He, he's in studio. I don't have him on camera, unfortunately, because he's at a separate station. But uh, I didn't uh, wire up the camera today. J- Jason said I have a face for radio. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> we both do, brother. We both do. And I also have to say, man, you're like living one of my dreams. Like, I would love to own an occult shop and then travel to Sicily and live with the family. Like, uh, that takes, that's double guts. You know what I mean? That is a whole level of guts. So first off, starting your own business, starting an online business, and then moving to a place where you don't know anybody and you're staying there. Oh, I'm sure you have family there, uh, though, I should say. Oh, actually, most of our family came over at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. And while there, I didn't meet a single person whom I could confirm was actually a relative. Right. Uh, But it was fascinating. When I got off the plane, I sat there and I thought, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) I've taken at least a month off from my life. I'm in a foreign country where I only know a smattering of words because Sicilian is not at all like Italian. They're very different. Um, and I thought, I know no one, and I'm here at three in the morning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but also, it was a very important thing. It, it was a very important thing that I do. Um, I needed to prove to myself I could do it. And I sort of gave right. myself over to the island and said, Here I am. You went native. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I figured I the, the first word you'd want to learn is like, where's the bathroom? You know, yeah. or something like that. You have to go there right off the bat. Well, a little baño. Like exactly. in Spanish, like yeah. the first thing they teach you in Spanish class. <laughs> what were you going to say? Sorry. When I was there, I had someone tell me that if I was there for only a month, mm-hmm. I could not say I actually lived there. <laughs> I visited there. And I totally understand yeah. that. However, the family that I lived with, Mm -hmm. they said, well, there's a difference. If you are here to experience Sicily, then you have visited Sicily for a month. If, however, you come to Sunday dinner, if you come and pray with us, if you sing with us, if you come to the market with us, then you have lived with us. And it's true. If you want to know something about the spiritual histories of or the spiritual culture or background of a tradition, whether it be 
Roman Catholicism or whether it be Santeria or Wicca or, or um, you know, various Stranga traditions, you need to learn from the people. You need to know a little bit about the customs, right. a little bit about the music, a little bit about the food, and a little bit about the language. And I really enjoy doing that. So as, as someone who was born here in the U.S., one of the things that I've sought out is to learn these things and reincorporate them into my practice. Because let's face it, when immigrants came over here, especially at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, they, for survival, had to assimilate. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some were only done at home, and sometimes those things were kept to a bare minimum. Right. People lost language, people lost cultures, people lost music, and, and you know, now I'm saying this jokingly, people lost the most important thing, food. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, completely. Out of these recipes. Um, and so, yeah, w- what I do is I say I practice a tradition of Sicilian American witchcraft remembered. Interesting. Nice. That is really fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, I completely agree with that sentiment you expressed earlier about people moving in the early 19th or excuse me, the late 19th century, early 20th century, having for survival reasons to adapt to the to assimilate rather quickly, at least publicly. My, and it was it really was survival. Absolutely. I mean, you have open bigotry. You have open oppression. It wasn't hidden. There wasn't this undercurrent of race. It was open racism, open racism. And, yeah. and even when I grew up. Um, I was born in the mid-60s, so when I was in junior high, I was supposed to take a foreign language, and my father's mother, the good Sicilian, swore none of her grandchildren would learn Italian or Sicilian. We weren't allowed to, and she actually came down to school and got me out of Italian class. I believe it. I believe yeah. it. It's. I was about to say the reason that statement resonated so well with me is because my mother would tell me stories about uh, my mother was born in the 40s and my grandmother was born in 1908. So you're talking about an early 20th century mentality that my grandmother still had. I mean, she went through the Great Depression. That's an old school, old world mentality. So she was told that when she was going to to school, um, she told me that they would hit her on the wrapper on the knuckles if she spoke oh. Spanish. Yes, yes. If you ate tacos in school, they would look down on you because that's poor people food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That that is the reason I don't know Spanish. Yeah, that's the reason I don't either because my mother didn't really push it as much as I would honestly hope. Because it it, it was looked very down upon. Yeah. All right. Now, George, you brought up something interesting. You said that's the reason you don't know Spanish. Yes. So let's talk about that. In, In the Italian communities, when you're over here, You'll hear them say they're speaking Italian. Mm-hmm. Technically, it is Italian American. Right. Okay. So yeah. Say things like mozzarella. But if you say mozzarella over in Italy, they'll be like, like what? Right. right. Mozzarella. Um, and that was part of the assimilation. Right. Oh, if you just drop the last syllable, if you drop those vowels, you'll sound exotic, not foreign. Huh. Right. Huh. It, it it's almost like a slang, if you will. Is that it's what you're dialect. saying? It's yeah, it's a dialect. dialect. Yeah, yeah. It is. It ba- is. basically, basically, like what we call Tex-Mex. It's not really uh-huh. Spanish. Right. It, it, you it's know, a dialect, 
really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It really is. On grammatical rules, on sentence structure, and that's how that's just how it is. Yeah. And I can see that that mirrors a lot, and you and you're you're living proof that that that's that language change and that adaption that uh, that yeah. language undergoes also reflects in the religious beliefs and practices that people have. It does. And that's why I think for me, not, not necessarily for anyone else, you know, that people have to make their own choices. But for me, um, I didn't want to abandon my Sicilian American customs and Sicilian American words and language in favor of sort of getting retread, going to Sicily and learning proper Sicilian and proper this. I, I incorporate what I can into who I already am. Right. Because I don't want to reverse assimilate and get rid of what my parents and their parents created as Sicilian Americans. That's right. just as valuable to me. You know, what I think is fascinating about Wiccanism versus, say, a lot of the more mainstream religions such as Catholicism, Islam, Judaism, and they're all beautiful religions in their own right. Uh, I, I, I admire anyone that has faith, regardless as to, regard, as to what faith that is. Uh, but I think what's different in Wiccanism is that it's such a personal experience. It's such a, yeah. it's such a personalized, I should say, experience in the sense that you, it's not that you're picking and choosing necessarily out of one blanket doctrine, save the Bible, for instance. You're not choosing, let me take this from Leviticus, let me take this from, it's you're inspired by various things. It's how the Lord and Lady, when I would speak, the, the way manner in which I would speak when I was practicing, it's the manner in which the Lord and Lady communicated with me and and shared their knowledge with me and what spoke to me and what I was able to 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 communicate with nature, how I communicated with the world around me. And yeah. it's my, and I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah, it's such a it's it's like finding your voice more than it's, it's true. It's it's a much more personal interaction, a personal alignment right. with forces both within you and without you. Right. And I felt important to kind of point that out because a lot of people may that that aren't uh, familiar with with uh, Wiccanism or or, or if you will, or uh, they may not understand. Well, what do you follow? Like, do you have a Bible? Do you have? A, uh, how does this work? Like, where do you learn these things? And I think it's important to understand. If it's you... it's pretty much me. I, I have I, I don't know really anything about it. So I'm even coming on to the show really not knowing anything about it. Well, that's good. You're the voice of the people. You're right. the Vox Populi. Uh, yay! <laughs> the voice <laughs> of the people. But <laughs> I'm just agreeing at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. It's a train wreck. <laughs> Don't jump on board. <laughs> Abort, George. Either way. But no, it's, it's, it's true, though. A lot of people have no idea where the belief system comes from because we're so adapted to, you know, men of the book, men of the faith, men of the cloth in that aspect. So, right, and a lot of people who come across non-mainstream religions, often the first thing they ask or they wonder about is, uh, where's the rule book? And it's like, well, you know, the rule book, open the door and go sit in the garden. That's yeah. the rule book. Yeah. It's called your personal sense of morality. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Personal responsibility is very high. Yes. It, it's a very, very important integral part of it. Yeah. Um, and if you have personal responsibility and you're aligning yourself with what's within you and what's without you, you're going to be 
more attuned to everything. So you're going to have a better sense of morality and you're going to see things a little bit more clearly. At least that's my personal perspective. Well, you know, you know, uh, you, you're, you're saying about like going outside and spending time outside. I spend a lot of time outside. I spend a lot of time in nature. I spend, we have property and we go, I go out there and I just, I'll go out there and I'll sit down out there sometimes and I'll see like deer running by. And to me, that is a way to recharge my battery, if you will. That, that is a way to find, you know, you know, my connection with God as far as, the, you know, my beliefs and stuff like that. So I get, I get that, what y'all are talking about right. as far as being out in nature and, and letting it recharge you. If you will. No, you're right. You're yeah. right. But as whereas you see that as evidence of God's majesty and creation, right, right. what I used to take from it, and I don't know, I can't speak for, for you, uh, Vinny, but it, what I used to take from it is, man, it just, it's a religious experience. It's just a, it's such a moment of beauty. I would get caught up in something like that. And I know it sounds cheesy. If everyone but listens to me, then you don't, you're not wonder and you're allowing yourself to experience that wonder exactly yes. exactly it's like seeing a sunset and being a part of it you yeah. know it's just amazing it's amazing and i know it sounds like i'm romanticizing it a little bit but it's a religious experience it, it is, is an ex- a moment of pure ecstasy and, and i love that and and it is it is for you and it is for me in the same way even right, though right, right. even though we were practicing two totally different it's very much a religious experience it's very much you know like I said, recharging your batteries through nature and stuff like that. So, yeah. And you know what's funny, Vinny, is that I, I think what I've just said about the personal morality, and you were talking about personal responsibility, I think it mirrors a lot of what atheists say uh, uh, that may be contradictory to uh, a, a very mainstream Judeo-Christian belief because, uh, for instance, I, I listen to everybody. I encourage people to listen to people of varying opinions. You should never oh, be caught yeah. up in your own echo chamber hearing ex- people agreeing with you. Listen to people that contradict your opinions because it strengthens your belief and it allows you to question your belief. Like Rob says, I love he loves it when people offend him, offend him, excuse me, offend him, offend him because it shows him where his limits are. And that's that's brilliant. That's exactly correct. And I had heard Penn, uh, Penn Gillette from the Penn and Teller Comedian. He's a, or okay. a comedian by Magician Act. He's, a, he's, a, he's an atheist. Yep. But he says morality, uh, in his, he believes that morality is greater than the Judeo-Christian definition of God. Because if God were to come down and tell you to sacrifice your son and you thought that that was a horrible thing to do, you have instantly placed a morality above God's morality and God is within that morality. And I think, you know, that rings true for a very good reason because we all innately have a personal sense of responsibility, a personal sense of morality. And I think it's kind of a shame to feel like you have to tie that down to a third party book or entity. And I think that's partly what appealed to me so much about Wiccanism uh, and, and Wicca uh, in general, and and I I, I I love that about it. And I, I do think, still, even as a as a as a I've joined once again the Catholic faith, but I still hold on to that belief that you know if you say God is good, you have put him within a moral structure. And I think the reason we do that as a people, and man, this has suddenly turned into a, so, a total religious podcast, and I apologize, but <laughs> you know, I think that it's important to recognize that the reason we do that is because we're human beings. 
we don't have we can't contain within our minds the true definition as to what religion you know what god or the goddess would would be right. we can't uh, comprehend that we have to compartmentalize put that within a structure and then use that as a guidance for ourselves or or to to gauge ourselves against and i think that's important it's hard to align yourself to truly feel a connection with something that is so beyond you and so abstract that you can't put a face on it. So when you look to some of the old religions, a lot of the indigenous cultures, they're indigenous religions. One of the reasons they were polytheistic, I believe, one of the reasons they had so many gods and goddesses, one of the reasons they they interacted with their departed ancestors, one of the reasons they actively communicated with the land spirits is they saw some underlying connection. And if they could connect to the smaller faces of God, right. they would then somehow still bask in the glory of the greater unknowable, the ineffable. Exactly. And right. you know, they did so with their local gods, whether right. they be their ancestors or you know, the forest god or Demeter. Yeah, it's the beginning of a conversation with whatever creator you feel that you are speaking with. You, in order to get to know someone, for instance, in order for me to truly get to know you, we're going to have to take, and it would take a lot longer than this show, but in order for me to get an idea of whom you are, it's going to take a conversation. I'm not immediately going to begin speaking with you, and the listeners aren't immediately going to begin hearing you speak and know right then and there everything that's about you everything that you believe in, we're, they're not going to know that. It's a conversation. And that's I think the conversation is two-way. You listen yeah. and you talk. And through a conversation, you build a relationship. And for me, it's the same thing with the divine. Whether I'm talking to the spirits or whether I'm talking to the goddess or Demeter or who or whatever you want to call it, I'm only concerned with my relationship. If you want me to talk about yours, hey, let's start a conversation on right. that. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. Right. right. And hey, listeners, please forgive me for turning this into a suddenly like preach being a bit preachy. But I mean, the reason I wanted to do that for a moment, though, is because I wanted to take a moment to try to express in words and through conversation how something that may seem alien to you whether it be stragoni whether it be wicca uh, even if you're if you're islamic and and you 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 know we're speaking of catholicism or what have you something that may be alien to you although those are very similar how we can be so strong in our faith even though it's alien it shares a commonality there are strings yeah. and there's that 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 hard that that religious ecstasy that we all have in that moment that helps us communicate, have a communication and conversation with our creator. And we're all the same in that aspect. We all, like George just pointed out, we have similarities, whether oh, yeah. you're Catholic or whether you're Wiccan, we oh, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, we, and there's no reason for hate. There's no reason for ostracism or anything like that. Nature. And I think once you can find the similarities with someone who is different and you're comfortable with the similarities, then it's time to broaden the conversation and say, let's look at the differences. This makes me uncomfortable, Jason. This, this really makes me uncomfortable. Why? And as long as you're open to hearing an answer honestly and you're really going to listen to it, then the conversation and the relationship 
can develop even further. Yeah, well, let's actually let's talk about that a little bit because I know something that a lot of people accuse and through the centuries have accused and millennia, honestly, Wiccans and, and various people that are non-Judeo-Christian uh, uh, of being is satanic. And how does Satan figure in the conversation? And I put the question that way because the majority of our listeners may be Judeo-Christian. So how does that uh, uh, factor in? Who is Satan in this world? Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to be brief because that answer is partially going to depend. Are you coming at it from an academic point of view, a theological point of view, or a practice point of view well we so, don't we don't have to be too brief we have a while <laughs> but let's start with well, let's start with a theological point of view if i may okay so from a theological point of view satanism has to do with satan satan is judeo christian right so by that logic if someone is not Judeo-Christian, they're not a Satanist. Exactly. I mean, it's funny. There is a prerequisite. You have to believe Satan exists before you can worship <laughs> Before you worship. Well, and also, the problem comes about when you get these folks who are Judeo-Christian, mm -hmm. and their worldview is so defined right. that anyone who's not them has been deceived by Satan. So in that case, from their point of view, everyone else is a Satanist, just of a slightly different strength. Forgive the pun, but to be the devil's advocate here, oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you are worshiping uh, a, a, um, a facet of nature that appears to be a horned god, wouldn't that yes. be Satan? It depends on who you're talking to. A lot of the Northern European traditions of witchcraft mm -hmm. have horned deities. Right. The stag antlers, rams, goats, bulls. Because before Christianity rolled onto the scene, antlers were a sign of the divine. Right. They were a sign of the man risen from the animal and the animal divine within the man. Uh, and by man, I mean humanity. When Christianity came, the sign of a person with horns was turned into the devil, was turned into Satan. And when you're talking from about the 1200s to the 1800s, a lot of the cunning craft traditions in Europe pretty much got squashed. Okay, Those um, who still uh, practiced did so under the auspices or the veneer of the Christian church. What do you mean when you say cunning craft? I want to define that oh, because that's a term. Um, the, the, the wise ones, the shamans, the witches, the magical practitioners, the, the uh, lady down the street that did herbs, the, the guy who did the dowsing. The kulandas. Uh, so yeah. People, people who practice the magical tradition. Right. When Christianity came in, it was their way or the highway, literally. Yeah. So a lot of these things had to be hidden. And one of the things they did is said, any God that is not our God is the devil. So a lot of these traditions, excuse me, incorporated that as a term for their God, not because they believed their God was the Christian devil, but because the Christians feared the devil. And this gave them some sort of spiritual power to keep the Christians away. 
Right, yeah, I can see that. Right. And that's that's where the Ooze scary witch came from. They worshipped the devil. Right. So from their perspective, they didn't worship the Christian devil. Right. Right. It just so happens that the devil shares a physical trait or characteristic that is completely superficial uh, right. with, their, with that belief. It's, it's, it's wild. So, so it's basically just as simple as from the inside looking out or from the outside looking in. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective. Yeah, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. So from, well, it's a little bit more. There's, there's from the outside looking in, there's from the inside looking out, and then there's that, that other thing I alluded to earlier where you have someone who is uh, practicing, um, let's say, Christianity, because that, that's the one that I come across most in this particular example. Mm-hmm. They think they're on the inside, we think they're on the outside, right. but right. their worldview allows for nothing but their worldview. Right. So you have you who's looking at the interaction between me and a Christian. You're outside looking in. There's me who's inside looking out saying, but but I'm not Christian. And then there's the Christian saying, you're all wrong. <laughs> right. right. And I, I want to I say that when oh, we say... Can I interrupt for a quick second? Please, by all means. Christian bashing, and I don't mean to. There are some truly wonderful, amazing Christians right, that right. aren't overly dogmatic and that have a high sense of personal responsibility and have beautiful, beautiful faith. We have Christians come to our celebrations. Mm-hmm. See, the way I look at it, I mean, I'm, I am a, I am Catholic, um, yes. and but I am a very open Catholic, if you will. I guess it's the only only way to explain it. Uh, I want to learn about other things, about other religions. And, I, and you know, I kind of take away from other religions what, you know, like I was reading about Buddhism, mm-hmm. and, and there was there was a, a, um, a saying that, that said, uh, one of Buddhist teachings was, never look, never look down at another man's religion because it weakens your own. And, you know, so yeah. I, 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 that's the way I look at things. I, I want right. to learn and I want to see. And I am from the outside looking in to your religion. And, but I, I mean, by no means, I mean, I think it's great, you know? I mean, I really, I really truly want to learn about it. And it's awesome. Yeah. And, and that's, you ex- know, I think that only helps when someone learns about someone else's religion, whether it's you learning about mine or me learning about yours, I think having that dialogue makes both of us richer as yes, a result yes. because it, it informs each of us to something outside of ourselves, but it can also really strengthen our individual, our respective faiths. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I was you actually took the words right out of my mouth. I was about to say, I want to say when we say those Christians or those people, we're not saying us versus them. And honestly, I'm Catholic, everybody. <laughs> you know, I'm, I am one of those Christians. But we're, we're speaking as a matter of historical perspective. We are talking right. about periods of time like the Inquisition. And then even right. to modern day, you do have some fundamentalist Christians that don't have room for anything else. And if you believe in something and you are a person of faith and you don't, nothing will shake your faith and it won't hurt you to learn about others. There's no right. reason right. you can't just hear about it, learn about it. It's that echo chamber I was talking about. My, my grandmother used to say, if you need to speak well i'm not going to use the word she used if you if you need to speak <laughs> crap right. about someone else's faith 
in order to raise up your own, right. something's wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Agree a hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally agree with that. And you know, it's hard. I'm Everybody, well, not everybody. I'm, I'm generalizing and I'm talking about generalizing. <laughs> I don't like to generalize, but sometimes it's useful when you're putting things in a particular perspective. Right. So there are periods of our history where, yeah, Christianity had some issues, but almost everything had issues at some time, at some place. Right. But, um, for instance, my godfather was a Marianist. So he was Roman Catholic, but he was part of an order that revered Mary. Right. If you're a strict Roman Catholic, you know you don't worship Mary. Right. Yeah. Mary can be revered. <laughs> right. right. But the Marianist had a fine line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, they had beautiful, beautiful services primarily focused on the Mother of God and the lessons that we as people can learn directly from Mary. Right. right. It's like specializing in, in a, a specific field of scientific study. They're specializing in a, a specific field of theology. And you're talking yes. about learning and expressing their faith from that point of view, uh, from that uh, sphere of influence. So you're, you're a Marianist. You, uh, well, first off, Marianists typically are a bit, believe a bit more in the mystical side of, of Catholicism. Um, yes, they do. <laughs> but it is, it is a, it's a beautiful expression of Catholicism. And I do want to say on behalf of Catholics, when you see a lot of statues and a lot of, of pictures and giant crosses and things, it's not because we're worshiping idols. It's because we want a beautiful place to worship within. And that's the only reason no one's praying to a particular statue and, and thinking that statue is going to get up, walk out and heal people. We're praying for intercession. Okay. It's totally. I love to use that picture you just painted and give you a slightly different perspective. Please, by okay. all means. Okay, so this is going to be an inside looking out, and I'm telling you what I see from the inside looking out. Um, Sicilian witches, mm -hmm. often in their house, they will have a home shrine with all these different saint statues and Mary and Jesus and the whole bit. They will dress them up. They will make clothes for them by hand and dress them up for the various feasts. Um, the witches do something different. The witches see the statue not as something to pray to, as in praying to the statue, which right. that's what it looks like from the outside looking in. Right. But what they do is they pour their energy. They basically magically enliven it and they breathe life into the statue, whoever that statue is supposed to represent, to be the home for that spirit when it comes to visit. Okay, nice. like make a essentially a spiritual vessel in which like, they can... Yes, yes. See, this is what we crafted for you, Mary. So when we are celebrating, you have this wonderful image that shows you we've put this effort into it. Um, you're welcome to, to um, come through this image of how we see you to interact with us. It's not the ceramic, it's not the painted stone, it's not the clothing, it is the spirit within it that is being revered, and what it represents. Right, and it, yes, and, and it uses the statue as a house. Right. It's yeah. a temporary thing. Right. Um, 
And I think part of that, you know, the, the dressing up the statues, the painting the eyes, uh, that's how you can tell if a Sicilian is working magic with a statue, the eyes will be painted gold. Really? Wow. Yes. I and that, that's the, the light inside the divine light coming out through them. Oh, so instead of a halo representing the divine yes. light and enlightenment around and that individual saint. I is... love those sorts of little um, uh, cultural folk magics because yes. I think if you can play, if you have your toys <laughs> and you're doing all this in a joyous celebration, mm -hmm. that logical, modern, everyday viewpoint of your mind gets set aside and you can see that wonderment again. So sometimes the toys help, but that's all they are. They're toys and tools. Wow. This turned into a really kind of beautiful conversation. I really like the way this is going. This so is do really I. Great. So do I. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually learning a lot. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good to open up your, you know, to learn about other faiths. And right. we're not saying, we're not trying to convert anyone today. No, no. <laughs> but, you know, we're just trying to enlighten everybody and have a dialogue about with somebody of a different faith. I mean, I've, in my past, shared a lot of commonalities with you so I can understand where you're coming from. And, and there's a few things that, that confuse people from the outside. And I, I want to know if you have any of these within the Strega tradition. And for those of y'all just joining, once again, you are listening to Living Paranormal. Uh, today, of course, we have uh, Vincent Rousseau, Vinny, Reverend Vincent Rousseau, uh, speaking about the Strega tradition of, of um, belief. Uh, some would call it Wiccanism, a form of Wiccanism, but it is different from the Northern European Wiccanism you commonly associate with Wiccans or witches. Uh, this is a Strega tradition of religious belief that comes from the Mediterranean region of Europe. Uh, it, specifically, uh, Vinny, you said that it was from the, a kind of a, a Sicilian Greco tradition that you hail from, correct? Yes. Okay. You yeah, specifically. Uh, because most of, it's interesting, my, um, my Sicilian side of the family, for the most part, has passed, in, including my parents. Oh, um, so that, that's one of the reasons I went to Sicily. Uh, but I grew up in a predominantly Sicilian household. Um, my mother's mother from the northern Italian side mm -hmm. is still alive. And oh, wow. she's 90. Wow. Uh, just turned 90 the other day. I have a great story about that for you. Um, and I'm starting to talk to her now, now that she's the oldest in the family who's still alive, about what she remembers growing up as a girl, because we had her here recently, and um, she came to our housewarming, and we probably had 60 witches here uh -huh. of, of all different backgrounds, and so she's asking questions, and she's like, I remember doing that when I was a girl. I'm like, um, you could have told me that. <laughs> but, so she just turned 90 uh, a couple weeks ago, wow. and her daughters asked her what she wanted to do for her 90th birthday. And she said, oh, oh, honey, you know what I want to do? I want to get tickets to the Majestic. Rod Stewart is playing. <laughs> Majestic to see Rod Stewart. And I'll be damned, but he came down off that stage into the audience and he sang and danced with her. Do you oh. think I'm sexy? Wow, that's nice. amazing. Nine years old. That's my kind of girl right there. That <laughs> yeah, is awesome. Absolutely. I love her. That's great. I love her. Yeah. I don't mean any disrespect, by the way, Vinny. I apologize. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that, yeah. She sounds amazing. Now that's, she is. But it, 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 that's one way that um, she's helping me bridge the generation. Because now she's at that age where um, she'll talk about anything. So when her husband passed... Um, I made an ancestor shrine and I was telling her about the ancestor shrine that I made for my parents. And she thought it was fascinating. 
And she and her daughter put aside a little shelf in the house with images of her husband, my Uncle Freddy. We call them Auntie I and Uncle Fred, even though they're grandma and grandpa. You know, they, they were Auntie I and Uncle Fred to everybody. I mean, everybody. Right. But so now she has the what I would call an ancestor shrine, but she calls it her memory shelf. Oh, that's oh, a cool name yeah. for it. She sits there. She talks to him. She'll put a fresh flower on it, a little fresh thing of water. Does the same thing. Maybe the personal beliefs are different, but it's the same practice. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. The memory shelf. That's really neat. And that's a matter of perspective. That's yeah. ancestral to you, and that would be to me. That's a memory for her, though. She was there. She totally. Mm-hmm. She was a part of that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Well. Uh, for if we could for a moment, because I was I'm sorry, George, were you going to say something? No, no, okay. So what I wanted to to ask you is if one of the things from my days in, during the when I was practicing was the use of a chalice anathema. Uh, was yes. the use of that is that used within the Stoic tradition? And for those that are, are listening, it's like a it could be a small dagger, it could be a long sword to draw the circle. That would be the anathema. The chalice would be a simple cup. You can call it a chalice, yeah. but a very simple cup. It sounds fancy when you call it a chalice. But it's just a cup, and the, uh, representing the masculine for the athame or blade, and the chalice right. re- re- representing the feminine. Uh, and of course, right. Sort of the, the magical tools that correspond to not just masculine and feminine, but, um, excuse me, in a Wiccan ceremony, the priest acts as the embodiment of the god, right. and the priestess acts as the embodiment of the goddess. Now, I'm right. talking generally. Right. Okay? right. And so the priest would have the athame as his tool, and the priestess would have the chalice as her tool. And often you would see it used at cakes and ale, right. symbolic of the great right, basically symbolic of life. Right, right. Um, the, the particular way it's used, um, I, I do know some Strega practices, some Strega groups, that have incorporated that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit different. We do have a sort of feast when we do our ceremonies, but we don't use the, the cup and chalice symbolism as much. Okay. Um, and that, I think, has to do more with coming from a Greco-Sicilian tradition mm-hmm. where our main focus really is the Demeter-Persephone mythos okay and so we focus on for for instance at the um i'm, I'm going to talk generically so it'll be right. less accurate than normal but at the sort of cakes and ale portion of the ceremony mm-hmm. uh, i i call that the the communal sharing portion okay. um, rather than using uh an athame and a chalice to represent life and the blessing of the food that you're going to partake we often bring the plate out and bring a, a cup out and we bless them with prayers that often come from things like the orphic hymns so the really old hymns um often if it's grain because of the cakes that we're using it's a hymn specific to demeter if it's a, um, a cup that has wine in it, often it's going to be a hymn that's specific to Dionysus. Right. And the transformation from grapes into wine, and therefore the transformation of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So once again, many aspects are the same, right. but not all of it. Right, right. 
I mean, and the idea to tie, kind of tie into some people that are listening that from the Judeo-Christian background, similar to how a Catholic would use kind of like the symbolic of communion. It's right. of course the Catholics yeah. have a whole layer it's a of. Right. Yeah, it's a communal feast. It's about right. sharing. It doesn't have the whole transmogrification from flesh and blood, uh, you know, into flesh and blood. It's not that deep necessarily as far as central, but it is an important uh, representation of sharing, of community, of, of, of love and sharing of love, right. essentially. Now, that's a brilliant point that you bring up, is the transubstantiation. Thank you. Because <laughs> in, in Christianity, in traditional Christianity, one of their mysteries is something that only the priesthood is trained in. Right. And that's taking wine in the host and transforming it literally into the body and blood of Christ. Right. right. Other traditions of Christianity don't take it that literally. Right. In Wiccan traditions, in um, Stregoria or Stregonaria, depending on, on what region, um, it's a little bit of a different take. I have cakes, these cakes created in your honor, blah, blah, blah. Um, there is no transubstantiation because the cakes literally are her body. Literally. The grain is the body of the goddess. The earth is the body of the goddess. The life force that was in it, that now is the nutrient that comes into us, is the god. Right. Okay. So it's both a metaphor and... A material thing right not necessarily a transubstantiation but there is definitely a shift in the consciousness in the perception right so you know, this is no longer a ginger snap cookie this is now a, a sacred meal right right i mean it's from the earth and it's of the earth and it is the earth and the goddess representing the earth you know it's that idea that it is that right it's not just a. I see what you're saying that's a that's an interesting yeah. point i like that way to make me sound uh, smarter i appreciate that whenever that can happen <laughs> i didn't have to do that you're doing that all on your own if rob were here i would be knocked a few pegs down but we're gonna just go ahead and roll with that and let me just be on my little high horse right now i'm just gonna be quiet man. <laughs> i'm just gonna be quiet I know he's in the chat room. He's like driving in his car, listening to the show right now. I know you're listening, Rob. He's probably like he's talking trash to the radio right now, but it's all right, Rob. I got the mic. I'm in control. But anyway, <laughs> well, I have a question. I haven't, I haven't sure. heard too much from George over there. Can I ask him a question? Oh, please, sure. All right, so I have a question for you. In your personal practice of Catholicism, do you do anything that you do on a personal level, spiritually? that maybe you don't see in the church, such as, do you have personal novenas at home? Do you have a candle that you pray to a particular saint? No, not, believe it or not, not really. I, I, uh, now we do have, we, I do, we, we do have candles at home. We do have that kind of thing, but I, I don't really pray to any kind of saint. I, I'm, I'm more of a, um, straight ahead kind of person, if you will, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, any, anytime I pray, it's, it's, uh, in Jesus's name, you know, that, that, that's, that's how I believe, you know, that's how I do things. So, so no, not, not really now. I mean, we do have candles with saints and we do have, you know, stuff like that, but now I'm, I'm more of a straight up kind of Jesus guy. <laughs> <laughs> I got a direct hotline to Jesus. Right, right. A lot of folks, 
um, they're, they're quote, good Catholics or good Christians. You know, they go to church, they do the things at church. But a lot of times at home, especially in families that are either immigrant families or immigrant-derived families, um, like you walk into an Italian household in New York, you're going to see this. There's often a shelf set up with half a dozen candles right. and maybe some flowers. And the family has a patron saint and they're always talking to the patron saint and praying to the patron saint. And a lot of times they're not praying for something. They're praying out of reverence. Right. Sometimes they do pray for something. And that's kind of the Catholic equivalent of the individual working magic and prayer. Right. See, I, I, no, I do have a saint that I like, that I like more really, and I hate to say it like this, but I like him kind of more than other saints, you know? Right. It's like I just have a favorite saint, and that's St. Jude. I, okay, I, yeah. excellent. Well, now, so let me ask you another question, sure. how that you said that. So you have, you have family members, right? You have yeah. more than one family member? Sure. Mm -hmm. Do you like some more than the others? Um... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest you know, and that's only natural because all of those people have different relationships with you. Yeah, yeah. And in Stregoria or Stregoneria, the saints, if someone works with the saints or the local gods, if someone works with the local gods, are seen very similar to being our extended family. And so it's natural to have a particular patron or to like this one more than that one. It doesn't mean you don't like the other one. Right, right. right. Although, you know, there are some relatives. Well, we won't go there. Right. <laughs> For the record, but my brother. It's okay. It just means that you have a particular affinity. Right. One of them resonates more with you. Right. And, and you know, it does yeah. it for you. For the record, my brother Eddie's my favorite brother. I mean, he's my only brother, but he's totally my favorite brother. And he's in the <laughs> chat room right now. So I wanted to point that out. It was important to me. Now, but uh, yeah, that's a very good point. Oh, go ahead, I, 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 now, now, the reason I think it was St. Jude, per se, is yep. because he's a, the patron saint of lost causes, basically. And, yeah. and, and I'm all about a lost cause. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like I will root for the underdog forever, you know? Well, you know what? That actually brings a good point. You happen to pick a saint that closely mirrors your personality or a personality trait that, that you uh, sympathize with mostly. Right. And I right. think that that's, that's a decision, at least that I personally made uh, in my faith. That's a decision that I made whenever I was choosing aspects of the religion in which I believe. It's what resonated with me personally. Right, right. So you actually, in your in your Catholic faith, as 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 um, <clears throat> excuse me, Vinny was pointing out, have a did something that that somebody in another faith would commonly do, whether right. it be someone that's Wiccan or someone that practices Stregoria. Uh, you know, it's something that we all do as humans. I think it's a human nature kind of thing. It's just yeah. the way in which we do, we, <clears throat> the manner in which we roll. Right. Uh, Vinny, I got a question. Uh, can you tell us the differences, like between, uh, say, Wiccan and paganism? If there is a difference, I mean, I, I'm 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 coming from a from a totally blind view, well, if you will. I'll, I'll give you the nickel tour. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah, that's fine. So I, and I'm going to be using terms as I use them um, nowadays as a modern practitioner, as as opposed to um, in an academic setting. Or, or from a community outside. So paganism really can be seen as a, a, an umbrella term. So a pagan is someone who falls within the umbrella of paganism. Okay. And really broadly, paganism would be any 
religious collection of practices that is not one of the big three, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. Right. Now, when you're talking practically, a lot of those other religions don't want to be called paganism, so you got to pull them out of the umbrella. <laughs> so really, the way paganism is used mostly nowadays is predominantly Western the spiritual traditions drawn primarily from predominantly Western pre-Christian cultures. Right. Yeah. Okay. So though in some cases they're the magical traditions and in other cases, they're the actual religious traditions. whether you're talking the ancient Greeks who had a whole group, they had a whole pantheon of gods right. or whether you're talking, um, pre-Christians in the British Isles who maybe only had a couple of their local gods. Um, and sometimes those people might think that, you know, in terms of religion, they have their god or they have their goddess or they have their pair, a god and goddess. But then you might have others that say, oh, well, I have all of these gods. All these are gods of my culture. But I also fully recognize the gods of your culture. So really, paganism is the umbrella term for the modern descendant traditions of the pre-Christian traditions of Europe. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It really does. I okay, so that. Wicca would be the something more specific within paganism. And traditional Wicca is a grouping of very closely related British-derived witchcraft traditions focusing on a specific god and a specific goddess and specific ritual practices. Okay. Modern Wicca or American Wicca, Neo-Wicca, if you will, right. is um, less traditional in the sense that they may not hold to specific practices or that particular god and goddess that the British-derived folks do, but are still primarily a mystery tradition based around ex personal experience and connecting with nature. And the Stranka traditions would be akin to, they'd be similar to Wicca, but from the Mediterranean region. So magical traditions, spiritual traditions, um, having to do with the mysteries of life, death, and rebirth, also focused around nature. But the big difference is with the Straka traditions, what's really at the core is family, reverence of ancestors, and that magical worldview where you acknowledge there's something beyond yourself that you don't truly know. You know, there's no truth, capital T. There's truth, personal truth. There's truth, cultural truth. But we try not to use truth with a capital T because we don't want it to seem like we are trying to disenfranchise someone else right. who has experienced the truth. Um, but we deal with, with what we would consider gods and spirits of our place. Right. Cool. And you know, I totally whenever... lose you now? No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm totally with oh, you. No, that was a very good explanation. Yeah, and I think it's, good. I think what's funny is that whenever you try to use truth with a capital T, you, uh, you were speaking to, you know, one, not wanting to exclude anybody. I think when you do that, you start taking a really, 
you yeah. start defend be defensive about it. You know, you start taking that this is the truth and this yeah. is what I believe, and you start being so exclusionary to everything. Someone who you, you're not already in a relationship, a type of a relationship with, I think it's always good to have a minute and say, Hey, you know what? Let's create our common language right now. I know we both use these terms and we use them differently. For this conversation, can we agree on how to use these terms? Right. Um, and I think that's important because with other Strega, with other pagans, I might say, oh, I'll give you a really um, hot button phrase, okay? With, with my close Strega friends, I might say, all gods are one god, and all goddesses are one goddess, and there is one initiator between them. So within my family, what that means is our magical worldview sees something we call the ineffable, something that can't truly be defined and can't truly be understood while we are physically manifest. Right. Okay. So all the different types of divinity that we can wrap our head around that we would see as all the different gods and all the different goddesses. So it's shorthand for saying, I can see all these wonderful similarities and I am doing them all reverence by acknowledging them. I may only worship a particular one, but I can see nonetheless, there is something beyond even my experience, my perceptions. But from the outside, you'll get people saying, all goddesses are not one goddess. All gods are not one god. Thor is not Odin, who is not Zeus, right, who is not. Right. And yes, that is true. Right. But let's go back to saying, let's decide how we're going to use these terms. <laughs> yeah, you have to define terms. It, it's kind of like at the beginning of a contract when they say the company will be called it <laughs> or something along those. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that's what you're trying to say. Blah, 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 shall be known as ABC Corporation. Right. Yeah, from exactly. here on out. Yeah, from here on out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You have to, well, you have to know the, the definitions of the fine terms sure, before you sure. have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. And you know. So we have someone who practices with us who, um, he practices with us. He does what we do. He's part of our group. But he also feels that the divine, as far as he can ultimately imagine, truly is embodied as a spectrum of masculine and feminine. So for him, it's the goddess and God. And for him, the goddess is Gaia. And the God is Christ, who is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's interesting. And so yeah. for him, he sees it up at a different level. That's really interesting. Yeah. That is a really interesting viewpoint yeah. for him to have. I, like, that's, I, 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 would, I would have never seen it... it you know anything like that? Yeah, that's and, uh, yeah. And you brought it out, and I'm like, okay, uh, mind blown. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. Well, you know, well, it goes back to that whole difference between you as a person and what you do and what you believe, right? And what the organization says is the party line, right? Which right. might not necessarily be a bad thing, but a lot of times that's how negative dogma creeps into things, right? 
And you know, I, I hate to interrupt. This is a wonderful conversation, but believe it or not, we've actually blown past the halfway mark. It has already been over an hour long conversation. Wow. And it's been great. If you guys give me one moment, I do want to remind everybody you are listening to Living Paranormal. If you're listening live, you're actually part of a great conversation where Ghost Wolf Jay, who actually happens to be a shaman, who was a past guest on the show, pointed out how true, uh, how paganism is a widely misused word. And there's actually a wonderful conversation in the chat between Jay and Patricia and all of our, our wonderful chat room uh, members that are in here right now, including Kim, my brother Eddie, our guest tonight, uh, Reverend Vincent Rousseau, uh, myself. We have a ninja. And uh, Vinny, you don't know this, but we call our, our special guests that sign into the chat room and don't use a name there are ninja contingency and we always have a ninja or two and we love our ninjas there's no problem you're feel free to skulk around the shadows guys and gals but uh if you are listening you are listening at livingparanormal.com slash live and you can tune in on sundays during show times which is from 9 p.m to 11 p.m eastern 8 to 10 central uh and if you would like to catch some of our past shows all you have to do is go to livingparanormal.com click on past shows if there's a specific guest you'd like to hear about the wonderful conversation we're having tonight with uh vinny then by all means just type in vincent rousseau and i'm gonna have to put vinny in as a search term as well a tag uh because uh, you'll be able to get this great conversation at any point in time on our site in addition to uh any past guests that have written books uh, you can find links to their books in our guest bookstore just as a reminder we do not receive any proceeds for you clicking through. It's just a one-stop resource spot for you to find all of the materials that we've referred to in the show, including links. For instance, tonight, uh, the link to uh, Vinny's site is going to be in the show notes, whether you have that through the podcast download on iTunes or your favorite podcast aggregator by typing in Living Paranormal. Uh, or if you're actually on our website, you can click on the link below the streaming audio. Uh, in addition to that, you can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash livingparanormal show don't forget to put the word show at the end of that uh or if you want to find us uh, over uh, by email you want to contact us tell us how great of a job we're doing how much you love george better than rob and i can say that without him saying anything because he's not here tonight then by all means send me the millions of emails telling me how wonderful george is and tonight's guest is by contacting us over at contact at livingparanormal.com don't feel like firing up your email just go to our website, click on About Us, scroll on down. At the very bottom, we have a form you can click out. Just clickety-clack, hit enter, and we'll get that right over to us. Uh, if you want us to use your name, if you have a question, or if you have an email you'd like for us to read on the show, more than happy to do that. Just please give us permission to use your name on the air. We'll refer to you as that one special person that emailed us that we can't talk about. And by special, I mean you're special, everyone's special. Now, <clears throat> tonight's show has been with uh, Mr. Rev uh, Vincent Rousseau, and he's actually a practitioner of a unique version. Well, not necessarily unique. It's practiced by many people, but stregeria, which is a, a form of, I don't want to say wickedness. It's not necessarily a form, but it's a different kind of... A um, witchcraft. Yeah, exactly. There we go. There we go. Let's talk about magic. It's always something that a lot of people are very, very uh, curious about because they love the idea of... Okay, let, let's let's put it this way. The Craft. When the movie yes. The Craft came out, I remember I was in I was in finishing up high school at the time, and a lot of a lot of people started suddenly dressing with black and started getting really introspective and trying to lift their friends with their with their with their pointer fingers and say light as a feather, stiff as a board, and and doing all that. 
but for the most part, did not did not happen. There's always that person that knew a guy that has a cousin that totally did that. Right. But what is magic to you? Can you define that for us? Um, well, you people are going to use it differently. What you know it goes back to that that conversation of you know what what is our common language? Um, sim- really, really simply put, and not as sexy as the other definitions, <laughs> is magic is simply a conscious shift in consciousness away from the everyday. So really, it's a shift in perception. The way it tends to be used in terms of religion, spirituality, and witchcraft is magic is the precise application of will to change your environment in conformity with that will. And that often, depending on the particular culture that it's drawing from, often uses a variety of tools, such as herbs, oils, um, saint images, um, deities, um, gods. Uh, So doing a prayer, uh, I'm going to pick on George for a moment. So doing a prayer to help someone, let's say you know someone who has been ill, and you do a prayer that they get better in Jesus's name. Sure. That's magic. Okay. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's 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 kind of the idea of, of the Christian belief. Faith can move mountains, but faith right. does move mountains. Right. Is yes, the it idea. does. It yeah. does. Yeah. And with with witchcraft, um, my magic, if you will, um, tends to be twofold. It tends to be the formal rituals that we do for particular purposes, but it's also the smaller crafty thing. It's going out in the garden on the night of the full moon with a specific purpose and literally having my tools handy. I have a candle of a particular color because that color has an association with the purpose. I have a particular blade because that blade is one that I always use for carving candles. So I have that, not, you know, not the hatchet (laughs) or or what (laughs) have you. and it's, it's drawing on these correspondences that all have particular meanings to help you focus your uh, attention on your intention. And so the spell is activating your will to make changes in your environment to conform with that, that intention. You know, what's fascinating is that uh, Ghost Wolf J in the, in the chat room said, to a, to a shaman magic, and I want to get your reaction to this, to yeah. a shaman Magic is working with energy supplied by nature itself to accomplish a goal. Does that ring similar to what you're what you're stating or belief, or do you believe it comes um, more from I would say world? my experience with magic, my definition of magic would right. absolutely include that. Okay. And that's what I was so wondering. Go ahead. That it gets it gets into that fine line. Some would say, is a vision quest magic or is it spiritual? Or is it psychic ability? Is doing a tarot reading magic? And I think it's more constructive to allow the lines to be blurred and someone to define it based on their personal experience. But once again, you do have to start somewhere. That's why I tend to have a very broad definition of magic. Right. Whereas spell work would be a particular operation using various tools and correspondences for a particular purpose. 
Okay, real quick, you you yeah. used a term, and I want to be sure that our audience completely understands. When you say vision quest, can you mm-hmm. outline what a vision quest would be? Yes. Um, if if um, they might be uh, more familiar with it um, from a different name, a lot of Western magical traditions that um, tend to be very ceremonial. They tend to have a lot of ties with. Christianity or the more commonly known religions, they might call it something like a path working or even a guided meditation. But a vision quest is often a mental and emotional, a spiritual journey where you go elsewhere. And depending on the culture, oftentimes you have a specific spirit guide, whether it's your animal, whether it's your holy guardian angel, whether it's your ancestor, and almost always has a very specific purpose. And if you find yourself on one of these vision quests, on one of these spirit journeys, it really behooves you to pay attention. Nice. Now, Ghost Wolf J in the chat room pointed out, and I'm sorry to keep bringing him up, but he's actually so prol- he's prolific, and I love his perspective on this. And I, I, I love hearing two different faiths really just coming together on this kind of topic. He, he states that magic is psychic and spiritual and natural. Uh, do, do you feel that the psychic ability, such as, to, uh, you know, uh, the ability to read minds or tell the future, that kind of thing, is that magic? Would you consider that to be magic? Sure. Okay. Sure, I would consider that magic. I would consider it to be natural. Um, as a matter of fact, depending on how you're using that word, mm-hmm. I'd be hard-pressed to find something that's not natural. True. True. I mean, if the if the if it comes from within you, I know it's your personal will, but a will is a natural part of who you are as a person. Psychic ability would be a natural gift or trait that you have. So that makes that I understand that. And then earlier, when you were giving examples of the type of of the practices that you would do, talking about using a certain uh, dagger or talking about using a color candle and talking about using a certain ritual, what it sounded like in some of the verbiage that people that may be familiar with Wiccanism. Uh, may may use this sounds like terms like ceremonial magic or and candle magic and, and... Yeah, ceremonial magic tends to be um, a specific tradition using specific keys, if you will. That that's the term that's often used. Ritual key phrases, ritual gestures, uh, particular ways of doing things to achieve the same result repeatedly. It right. tends to be more cerebral. Um, they do use tools for very specific purposes. Then there are other traditions that are much more mystical or much more eclectic, off the cuff, more Dionysian, if you will, um, that also use the tools, uh, but they may use the tools differently to right. achieve their own particular goals. Right. So, so let me ask you this, and this is just, I, I'm not really sure if this is connected to this or not, but um, do you believe that through you, when, when you do magic, uh-huh. um, it's almost like through your own consciousness, like, I, I'm, I'm a very firm believer in, in a collective consciousness. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's why I believe prayer works the way it does. Uh-huh. Is, is, that, is that the same basic concept when you do magic? It's, is, is almost like the concept... That's going to depend on the practitioner. So for myself, I believe that we all as individuals have our own energy. 
And if as individuals, we are going to work magic, we're going to direct our personal energy towards a particular goal, we are expending some of that energy. Um, and to give you an example, back in one of the world wars, there is a story of the British witches getting together to do a great circle to keep Hitler at bay and not allow him to be able to cross the channel. And as the story goes, they raised so much energy and sent it to prevent him from invading that over the course of the next several weeks, many of the witches died because they depleted their personal life force so much they couldn't get it back. Oh, wow. Wow. So that, that's the story. So I do believe we all have a personal life force, a personal energy. And when we, we use magic, we expend that. But through the course of daily living and loving, we build it back up again. I also believe that, at least from within my tradition, there's an equally valid concept where you are the conduit for the natural energy around you, as well as divine energy. So when our group of witches gets together, if we need to do a healing, rather than send from us personally, what we will do is we will use our personal energy to create a sacred space. And then within that space, we will invoke the attention and energy of a particular god or goddess who would have sway over that and then direct that energy. So in that case, we would say not of us, but through us. Very, very, very much like uh, uh, when, when someone says uh, in Jesus name, uh, you know, we pray in Jesus, that kind of thing. Is that, yes. is that, is that basic same, same concept? I guess I, I hate to, I hate to make it seem so simple. You know, I have, I've seen um, some very devout Christians who practice magic, although they would call it differently. Right. And what they will do first is they will do a very devout prayer of reverence to Jesus, to God, to the Holy spirit. Then they will ask for healing for someone in Jesus's name. Right now, from my perspective, what they're doing is they are first invoking or calling the attention of God or Jesus yes. with their own energy. They're, right. they're praying to them. Then they are directing that attention towards this worthwhile goal in Jesus's name. And so through them, yeah. same thing. It's, same thing. Yeah. It really is similar to it. And I, I think um, that's actually a sticking point to to uh, to be fair between Catholics specifically and uh, Protestant faiths, because a lot of Protestants have a big issue with Catholics using intercession, even right. though in the Catholic Bible in the first Timothy, it actually is allowed to you're allowed to pray for intercession. It actually specifically states that you're allowed to do so. And forgive me, I don't I can't say the uh, the exact verse by by memory. But uh, oh, there that's is, it. I'm done. I know. Sorry. <laughs> We're not that professional here. But oh, <laughs> what kind of fly by night show is this? No, but, the mic, walk away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, no, but that's really a, that's a very good point. And ceremonial magic, when I thought of that and when I first read about that and was really in my private practice, uh, it reminded it's so wrong, so similar to the the communion, the idea of, of you know, transforming the body. Uh, the wafer to the body of Christ and the the wine to the blood of Christ. It's such a ceremonial practice 
that it just it instantly rang for me right. the ceremonial and, and what's funny is that there was a time in the Catholic faith where so much attention was paid to using the precise words and to using the precise motions that in the 16th century when uh, King Philip II's son fell down fell down a flight of stairs and was injured to the point of near death King Philip prayed to God and and actually made a deal with God. He was the most powerful man on the earth at the time. Spain had already discovered the world and had all the riches. And he had prayed to God and said, if you do a miracle for me, and this is the audacity of a person saying this to God, if you do something, a miracle for me and bring keep my son alive and bring him back from death's door, I will do a miracle for you. And it was that kind of audacity. And what happened, yeah, what he did, he actually did something that's remarkable. He, he, uh, the son saw a saint appear to him in his sleep. He saw somebody appear to him. It was a priest or a monk. And it happened to be a local priest that uh, everyone knew. He described him perfectly. After that, he was healed. So what King Philip II did is he commissioned a work of clockwork uh, art. And it was a watchmaker that he commissioned to make an automaton. And what it was, it was a figure that would move around the table like clockwork. It would just wound up with a key and it would go through the motions of blessing everyone with the sign of the cross and it would look like it's praying. And it, oh. it would do the same moves over and over again in perfect matching to what the, the prayer would be. And it was the idea that he made the embodiment of the perfect prayer. That's actually an example of one of the earliest automatons that we still have in the Smithsonian Institution today. It's in the Smithsonian. And um, it's, 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 it's amazing that, that it, 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 that's how he saw prayer as so ceremonial. And so when I hear ceremonial magic, I instantly think of the Catholic tradition of, doing the la of reenacting the Last Supper, which is a ceremony in itself. Now, if you want to talk um, sort of modern day ceremonial magic, I would like to recommend a fantasy series for you. Really? What's okay. that? There's an author named Catherine Kurtz, and she has a series of books that are the Adept series. And the first one, I just looked it up. The first book is called The Adept, and it was written back in 1981. Okay. And it is about a, um, a Scottish nobleman who secretly is part of a ceremonial order and they consider themselves guardians and they fight evil literally as the occult police but it gives a wonderful fantasy worldview of western christian ceremonial magical traditions wow that's really it, cool fun. The there are um, there are five books in the series and they go further afield than England and Ireland and Scotland um, as the series goes on, but it also pulls in a lot of multiculturalism. Um, like, you know, well, we're doing this, but is that really our problem? Uh, well, yes, it is our problem because we ultimately serve the light. And if we are here, it's incumbent upon us to act now. Right. Uh, and it's brilliant because they, they pull in that multiculturalism. They talk about the similarities between different occult traditions. Um, but it always goes back to Sir Adam Sinclair having a deep, deep, heartfelt spirituality, wow. um, which is a, a Christian-based spirituality. Hmm. 
I actually have put a link to uh, the book, The Adept, from uh, Catherine Kurtz in the chat room. I'll include that in the show notes just because it's it's an awesome reference, and I want everyone to take a look at that. Great. Oh, by the way, one side note, that automaton happened to be the image of a local priest, and I had to look up the name to, for the full name. It was a Franciscan friar named Diego de Alcala, who's actually oh. the person that the city of San Diego is named after in California. So that's where the name comes from for California, San Diego, California, in case y'all are wondering. Just to tie it in, a nice little bow on that story. Just want to put that on there. But anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, and, and what's, what's – what, let, me, let me tell you something. I, I've been on Amazon, and I have been looking at the show, and I love I, – I will wait till a show finishes. And I'm, I'm grinding the gears here to change gears, but I will wait till a show finishes before I can binge watch it. And I'm glad I did that with this show. I've been watching True Blood. And True, oh, yes. True Blood is one of those shows. It's R-rated, guys. So if y'all are listening and your kids do not watch this without your parents' permission, it is the show that just ticks me off because it's like a stupid soap opera and that it finishes right when someone's about to get stabbed or right when someone says, look, and the killer is. like, it, Oh, I hate that. But one thing they do is represent witches in a manner that is, oh, it just rings so false, and it, and it, it it's it, it bothers me. It even represents my specific culture, because I'm, I'm Mexican American, I'm Latino, and in, in, in that aspect, and and it represents even a, a part of our mystic side, our mystical background, so unfairly. And I was wondering, how do you feel about the representation? of of uh you know wiccans i know that's not specifically your practice but you, your form of yeah. wiccans how do you feel about the representation of that in the media right now or today well it, it kind of ties into um the representation of witches as a catch-all term for all magical practitioners and a holiday that we have coming up soon which is halloween mm, yeah totally okay? so there will always be negative portrayals of fill in the blank. Right. I think what we need to do is look at what is being portrayed and in what context. So for instance, there are plenty of movies out there that show other religions in a bad light, but there are plenty that show them in a good light too. And just because I call myself a witch or a stragone, doesn't mean that I have the authority to tell you that you can't call yourself that. What I can do is say, this is what I call myself and this is what I do. What he's doing isn't what I do. Right. Fair enough. Um, so, and, and you know, and from the perspective, remember we were talking earlier, George, about outside looking in, inside looking out? Sure. So if I go into something like True Blood, and I say the witches that are there are not modern practitioners like me. They are based on folkloric witches. Mm -hmm. And this is a fantasy series. Then I can enjoy it within that context. Right. right. Because, you know, that's not like, for instance, True Blood, you got certain Southern folk there. I know for a fact my husband's southern relatives aren't all like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're from Texas, so we're southern as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we just don't have the accent. 
years. <laughs> we're in the big city, so we don't have the accent for the most part. But yeah, no, I agree. And also, to be fair, a werewolf and a werepanther just walked through the door in that episode. So, you know, it's not necessarily anchored in reality. <laughs> but yeah. but yeah. still, I, it's just indicative of a lot. Because what bothered me most about that, it's not how they did the ceremonies. It's not the, the words that they use, which, interestingly enough, by the way, were mostly in Italian. Uh, which yeah. is weird to me because she was a Spanish witch. Anyway, but uh, but in that part of the South, mm -hmm. a lot of Italians and a lot of Sicilians came to New York and went right down to New Orleans. Really? I did not know that. Yes. So a lot of the folks down there, you'll hear them speaking Creole. A lot of them also speak a very removed dialect of Sicilian. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. You know, I heard a story about that. Uh, it, wasn't oh, yeah. so, it, was, it wasn't so much about uh, Sicilian as it was French. They oh, were, yeah. They were, well, trying, they were trying to find something about the old way of speaking French, and they had to come to Louisiana, go to Louisiana to find it. So, yeah, oh, I can yeah. see that. I can yeah. so see that. Yeah, there was a dialect that was dying yeah, out, and there's yeah. only a few that speak it. I've, I remember hearing something on NPR. I love NPR, so yeah. I, was, I haven't listened to that on there. But, wow, That's I totally cool. derailed the conversation, and I apologize, but it's still topical in a way. No, I think it's very topical because it, it, it ties back into the craft that you mentioned earlier. Right. Um, I remember seeing the craft in the theater. Now, th this tells you how totally geeky we can be. Yeah. So a number of people my students as well as one of my teachers went and saw the craft mm -hmm. and we specifically for our common ritual liturgy mm -hmm. drew from a number of literary sources some of them good some of them bad right but we drew from all over to make a common liturgy source that worked for all of us. Mm -hmm. And while we were sitting there watching the craft, you remember the scene where they're on the beach and they're revoking the elements? Yeah, Menol. Yeah. As soon as they turned to the West and said, Oh, thou serpent of old, ruler of the deep, uh -huh. 20 uh -huh. witches in the audience stood up and screamed and finished the invocation. <laughs> Because they took it from a book called Mastering Witchcraft by, I believe it was Hewson. Um, old, old book. But and, and, of course, we're laughing and roaring with hysterics. And the other people in the theater are looking around going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that that's is good, awesome. Yeah, you're right. Paul Hewson is the person that wrote that book. Yeah. It's Mastering Witchcraft, a Practical Guide for Witches, Warlocks, and Covens. So, and, you know, can I talk about that one for a second? By all means, please. A very long time ago. One of the things that's in it, and it's a classic. I would not say it's practiced exactly like it is nowadays, but it's a classic because it was one of the first books written specifically by a practitioner. One of the things he says if you want to become a witch is if you are Catholic, you need to read the Lord's Prayer backwards. And you need to, I think it was desecrate your jewelry and whatnot. And wow. it wasn't that he was advocating uh, desecrating another religion, mm -hmm. what from his perspective he was doing is saying, if you truly want to do this, you must make an entire break with any religion that has an obligation or hold on you. That was the example he gave. 
So if you were to give um, one from a different religion, he would basically say, you need to do whatever you need to do to psychologically sever you from any obligation. And any further obligation should be undertaken um, with fully open eyes, knowing what it means. Uh, so that's, that's an example of how, what his intention was and how it was worded and how it was received has a huge goal. Yeah. When I first, when you're telling me now, I'm like, that sounds a lot like what people were accusing witches during the Inquisition of doing. That's, that's yeah. pretty crazy. But I mean, that's, and that's a hard stop. In um, intent, because what the witches were, were accused of doing in the, the Inquisition was doing this to harm Christians and harm Christianity. What the author was doing with his intent is saying you have to take something that has up until now bound you and rob it of all power over you. Yeah, I see. And this is one way to do it. I see. Um, but it wasn't really explained that well. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. So read that book with a certain perspective. So that that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And you know, actually, what you just said, the intent, and also what the wicked, what the witches were accused of during the Inquisition, brings me back to my original point regarding uh, True Blood. I did not like the malevolent tone that the the uh, the leader of that particular coven took i i i because what was important to me and what 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 really rang true to me when i was practicing was the wiccan read what a lot of people refer to as a wiccan read and harm you none do what thou wilt which yeah. if you're taking that literally you are going to eat well because otherwise you're going to harm your body you don't smoke because you're going to harm yourself right. you don't you know it involves all the commandments essentially it's a very it can be a very strict religion I mean, you're almost getting to Jainism if you take it to the extremes where you're going to sweep the ground before you to not crush an insect. I mean, you could take this to an extreme. But, uh, you know, the idea, though, is that there is no way that a true Wiccan would do anything that would consciously harm somebody if they're a true practitioner of that faith. But uh, what do you think about that? Now, may I say devil's advocate? Play, by, all, by all means. <laughs> okay. So if we're talking... Wicca in terms of traditional Wicca, initiatory Wicca coming out of the British Isles. The interpretation of the Wiccan read, and ye harm none, do what you will, is advice. And it only addresses if you harm none. It leaves up to the individual training and individual the morality of what do you do if harm needs to happen? So it would say, if your actions cause no obvious harm, you have no further authority to go than your own will. If you're in a situation where you feel you must cause harm, the Wiccan read being advice only if ye harm none wouldn't apply. You I have see. to now apply a different okay. personal ethical and moral code. I see. That's interesting. So that's a neat sidestep. Yeah, I like that. And you know, it actually touches on a question that Patricia had earlier. There's actually uh, one of the chat members, Patricia Morales Vasquez, asked a question and, and directed towards you. She said, Vinny, is there a, r a ritual entry for young practitioners similar to First Communion? And I thought that was actually a great question. In 
traditional Wicca, no. Because traditional Wicca is a priesthood. It's an initiatory priesthood. In modern Wicca, yes. There's often something called a Wiccaning that parents will do for their children that introduce them to the mythology and the holidays and their gods. In Italian or Sicilian craft, most definitely, because in Italian and Sicilian craft, anyone with a true heart willing to do the work can be a practitioner. Oftentimes, initiation happens when um, basically you're a priest or a priestess if you are acting as such and acknowledged as such. There may be a ceremony involved, but initiation, capital I, Mm -hmm. is different. That's when you're now going to become a teacher. You are going to be a community focal point. So in Italian craft and Sicilian craft, it's based around the individual and based around the family. And I tell you, we have more rites of passage that you can shake a stick at. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, You know, and if we don't have it, give me five minutes. I'll make it up. Because (laughs) one of the most important things in dealing with magic and in dealing with spirituality is you have to have ceremonies that celebrate these life events, because that's what it's all about. Yeah, every 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 moment is a bar mitzvah when you can make it. When you right. Make it. <laughs> yeah. uh, almost had a spit take there. I almost got video. <laughs> spit take. That was close. That was close. That was close. I wish y'all had the video for this now. <laughs> I I have a question if you if you will. Um, what are, what is um your take on um? I don't want to call it voodoo, like hoodoo. And and is there any kind of a sort of connection between, if um, you there, will? There is. Um, so Santeria and voodoo right. are magical and spiritual practices of particular cultures, derived from those cultures. Hoodoo, on the other hand, is the magical practice that's often been incorporated into Southern Christianity. Okay. okay. So it's a, it's different. It's not a religion. It's a practice that you often find throughout the Ozarks, throughout um, the mountain regions, throughout the southern regions. And in Italy, when you're talking, oh, this, this is great. So I'm going to backtrack for a second. Two terms, stregeria mm-hmm. and stregoneria. Okay. Stregeria is an archaic word for witchcraft in Italian. Raven Gramassi repopularized that word, basically brought it out of its archaic status, and pretty much means Italian Sicilian derived religious witchcraft. Whereas stregoneria is the modern word for witchcraft, and that's the magical practice. And so a lot of people refer to stregoneria as the hoodoo of the Mediterranean. Because it uses whatever works. And it's it's all practice, all entirely. Anyone of any faith can practice it because it's things like, um, so George, when I say, think of a flower that represents love, what flower is that? A red rose. There you go. So it uses common associations of the common people. Magica populare. Magic of the common people, popular magic. And 
it, so anyone can do it, religious or not. But hoodoo is not defined by a spiritual tradition. It draws from many and can be used as part of many. Mm, I see. I get it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool. a good question, George. I like that one. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. come up with one or two every now and again. The chat room is yeah. like, okay, so hoodoo is the practice of voodoo. Uh, hoodoo is the practice. Voodoo is the religion. Um, from the outside looking in, yes. Outside <laughs> <laughs> looking out, they would say voodoo is the practice. Voodoo is the religion. Hoodoo is what those southern white folk do. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Nice. It makes sense. I get that. I get that there. <laughs> wow. So, Vinny, have you ever had a moment in your practice, Ostergaria, where you have been taxed beyond what you had initially anticipated, taxed to the point to where you were near exhaustion? in your practice and if you were can you share that or if it's something you could share i know it's a very personal question so i understand if you don't want to um, answer that yeah um i lost both my parents in the same year oh, i'm sorry my mother died she had a heart attack um she recovered she had another heart attack and this was after finding out that my father had terminal cancer oh no so she actually died before him um through the support of, of my husband, Michael, we rearranged our lives where I commuted to Springfield. I would go from Boston to Springfield and take care of my father Monday through Friday. And then my sister would come out and she would be with him Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And throughout the course of his illness, um, he asked me to act as his priest. Wow. And so I got to know him as not just my father, but as a friend and to deal with these issues of life and death and what he was going at through at the time. And as a priest, you have to have a certain level of detachment. You have to disassociate in order to do the job for the people. That's part of your sacred calling. And I like to think that for the most part, I was able to do it when I was around him. But many times when I knew he was fine and someone else was taking care of him, I would go off and I would have a little breakdown and I would call my people that I rely on. And then they would act as priest or priestess for me and, and truly taxed me because this was literally life and death and pain right up front asking all those questions. Why? Where is the justice in this? How can there possibly be any good that comes out of this? Um, and it, it, it does. It tax you, taxes you beyond your, uh, certainly what you thought <laughs> you'd right. be dealing with. Right. And right. Um, one of the best, most wonderful things a teacher can ever have happen is realize that their student has surpassed them. And in one of these moments, I was talking to my student who runs her own group now. And I said, you know, this is really hard. I know all the things to say. I know the comfort to give. But I, I, I'm left with this feeling of why. And she said, might I suggest you ask yourself a question? Ask yourself not why, but ask yourself, 
what can you take from this to celebrate the life? Interesting. Yes. And I just sort of burst into tears at that. Wow. That that was the right thing for her to say. Wow. And then from that moment forward, we, my father and I, worked on not his preparing to die and his hospice, but we worked on what do you want to do now? What celebrates who you are and what you want to do? What would improve your quality of life? Because we acknowledged that there was an end and there wasn't anything we could reasonably do. We never lost hope that you know there could have been a miracle, but also being practical, it taught us to ask, what do we do now to celebrate what we have and to live what we have to the fullest at this moment? Absolutely. Yes. What a what a beautiful way to end to bookend this wonderful conversation that we've had tonight. I, I can't think of a better way. That's such a wonderful sentiment and something beautiful to take away from this conversation, I think. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we can all <clears throat> certainly apply to in our lives. Whenever something terrible happens, whenever we experience loss, whenever we experience go through those hard times, don't ask why, ask what you can take from it. I, I love that. That's such a beautiful way to say that. I, I just I, thank you so much, Vinny, for coming out. I, I feel... Uh, I, I've taken so much from this conversation. I want to thank you very much personally from my heart that, for coming out tonight. Uh, I've had a wonderful time. I mean, I thought this was great. Good dialogue, good <laughs> changes going on. I thought it was wonderful. Thank you very much. I, I want to say I, I, I've actually... Um, George still there? Yeah, I'm right here. I want to say that, that, that for, for me, I actually feel... Like a, like a better person for for talking about all this, you know, for learning about all this. And like I said, from the outside looking in, I, I want I want to see what it is like from the inside looking out and to learn about it. And thank you for that time. Yeah, we thank uh, you. Definitely got a window into a really interesting world. Yeah, know, absolutely. And I I do also want to ask you one quick question that Rob would kill sure. me if I didn't ask. Uh, what's next for uh, for Vincent Rousseau? What's next for you? Do you have any big plans coming up? Any events that you're doing? Um, I do actually. Um, we're we recently moved to a new house. Well, recently back in February, um, and we're renovating the basement. And um, I'm going to be relaunching the Strega.us site where I make uh, the Strega Crafts site. I'm sorry, Strega Crafts, um, where I make custom candles and incense. So we're going to have a whole bunch of of custom products coming out. Uh, but the big thing is over the past 10 years, I, I keep toying with the idea of writing a book and I have about six chapters out now. And um, if I can, if I can keep this momentum going, I'm hoping to have it finalized by springtime. Well, when you do, Come back onto the show to start your little promotional circuit, and uh, we can get you in touch with other shows as well. We'd love to to have you on to talk about the book specifically and uh, give you some names. Do you have a publisher in mind? I don't yet. I have a number of friends who are published, but until I had something concrete, until I could deliver them, you know, like three quarters of what I know they're going to ask for, right. uh, I didn't want to pull on those relationships. Right. It's been wonderful. Was there anything, any other events or any speaking inter, uh, engagements you're going to be doing? I'm not sure if you do any public speaking uh, speaking events. I've, I've kind of 
pulled back this year and it, it's pretty much been um, learning the new house, learning the new land and learning to garden from scratch. <laughs> nice. 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 Definitely things that I would love to be able to do. I'm just too lazy. I'm way too lazy for that. <laughs> but I do want to say once again, everybody listening tonight, thank you so much for listening to us uh, tonight at Living Paranormal uh, with a, just a fantastic Vincent Rousseau. Uh, it, once again, if you are interested in visiting or finding out more information about him, uh, we will definitely have links uh, in the show notes tonight, not just this Rega.us, but additionally to his website uh, that we have posted earlier and mentioned earlier in the show. And with all the information that is crammed in my head, forgive me, Vincent, can you give us the name of the, that website address one more time, please, for the main site? Uh, the, the main website or the one that I'm going to be redoing? Uh, the main website where we can get the links to your shop and everything. Arsenic.com. Arsenic.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, George, I think we can wrap it up, right? Don't you? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I just want to say I've I've, I've been smiling this whole this this, this whole two hours. You I, know, I, I've looked like a bobblehead. I, I'm glad that we're not. I've just been <laughs> nodding, like yeah, 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 totally. I agree. So yeah, that's been happening all night on the cam. I'm glad I'm not on on public camera now. We're not streaming live video, but uh, I do want to say on behalf of tonight's guest host, George Aguilar, on behalf of Vincent Rousseau. I'm Jason Olivo. Thank you so much for tuning in. Y'all have a wonderful night. Goodbye, everybody. Adios.